As Eric said, please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Today we'll be in verses 20 through 35, and like we say in Santa Ana, abran sus Biblias al Evangelio según Marcos, capítulo, capítulo 3, versículos 20 a 35. This, this is a privilege. What we're doing today, this is what we do every Sunday. This is what you do every Sunday. But this is a privilege. This is no mere routine. Just something that we do when we get to this point of the service. We, we are opening up a book and expecting to hear from God. And this morning as we sit on the precipice of yet another year, we, we turn our attention to that which is of first importance to Jesus. And we seek, we, we aim to see Him rightly, to receive Him rightly. So let's do just that. Beginning in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, read along with me all the way to verse 35. Then he, being Jesus, went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called to them, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. Would you? you join me in a brief word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we we thank you for bringing us 
to another new year, for bringing us through another year, for sustaining us, for teaching us, for growing us, for drawing us to yourself. And we ask that now, Lord, you would draw us to yourself again. Would you open, open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts so that your spirit might work in us and among us and even through us for the glory of your name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. <laughs> what a passage to start the new year off, right? <laughs> in this passage, Jesus says some troubling things. This is, this is an altogether troubling passage. It's, it's, it's even, I might even say scary. Jesus says some scary things. And, and I know that you've been going through the book of, the, of Galatians for the past six months or so, and in the book of Galatians, Paul says some scary things. Like in Galatians 1.8, he says, if anybody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed, anathema. In Galatians 2.11, Paul opposes not, not, not just some random Christian from the church in Galatia, he opposes Peter because Peter was doing something something wrong enough to be opposed by Paul. In, in Galatians 3.1, he addresses the Galatians as, you foolish Galatians. Now here in Mark 3, Jesus himself, he responds to a claim that what he is doing in his ministry is being done by the power of Satan. He says that there is a sin that's unforgivable. And he surprisingly states that his closest relatives are in fact not his truest family. Now, all of these scary things that are, are said are, are, are said to those who are outside of the kingdom of God or, or, or exhibiting behavior is more reflective of those who are outside of the kingdom of God. And listen, here's, here's the crux. Every single scary thing said to those outside of the kingdom of God is due to how they receive Jesus. It's due to how they have received or are receiving Jesus. The point of this passage is that how you receive Jesus determines what you get from Jesus. How you receive Jesus determines what you get from Jesus. And listen, on one hand, it's not about what you can get from Jesus. One of the primary misunderstandings of this crowd that incessantly followed Jesus from place to place to place in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this crowd over and over, one of their primary misunderstandings was that they were looking to Jesus for what they could get from him looking to get healing, looking to get miraculous multiplication of fish and loaves to be fed, even looking to get forgiveness from him. But what they were missing was that the gift that Jesus was offering was not what he could give them, but was himself. He was putting on full display that he, he was the embodiment of the coming of the kingdom of God. He was the embodiment of man's greatest need. 
On the other hand, make no mistake, everyone will receive something from Jesus. Everyone will receive something from Jesus. And what you receive from Jesus is entirely dependent on how you receive Jesus himself. If you receive him with with mocking, with scorn, with disbelief, what you receive is indeed those, those scary things. Now, today, though, though Jesus says some scary things to those who receive him wrongly, and, and, and we need to listen to these warnings, what's implied in his words are also a word of comfort. Also a word of comfort to those who do receive him correctly. So today, we're going to look at the, the text from that perspective. We're going we're to look at the implications for those who do receive him as he intends to be received. We're going to look at three comforts for those who receive Jesus correctly. And listen, if you don't know, if you've received him correctly, if you're looking out on the next year wondering, what will I receive from Jesus? How do I receive Jesus as I embark on the rest of my life? Jesus will make it clear to you in these 16 verses. So, so as we embark on a new year, let's do so starting by reorienting ourselves to the Jesus of history, to the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who reigns over all creation and receive him as such. And then, having received him, receive in full the comforts that he offers in and through himself. So, let's get going. Three, three points, three, three headings to mark out the rest of our time together today. Those who receive Jesus correctly will be comforted that, one, Jesus has defeated Satan for you. That's a great comfort. Two, that forgiveness remains for you. So one, that that Jesus defeated Satan for you. Two, that, that forgiveness remains for you. Three, that there's a wonderful family for you. There's a wonderful family for you. Three comforts to enter into this new year with, having received Jesus for who he is. So first point, Jesus has defeated Satan. We're looking at verses 20 through 27 for this first point here. And, and this passage, this passage in, in its entirety, these 16 verses, they're the first of, of many Markan sandwiches within the book of Mark. And if you, know, if you know the New Testament well, you know what a Markan sandwich is. It's where, where Mark, the author of this gospel, he sandwiches or he interrupts one scene with another, kind of like an Oreo cookie. You've got the, the two cookies on the outside interrupted by the cream filling. And in most cases, Mark brings resolution to that original scene at the end of this Markin sandwich. The, 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 the cream filling in this 
controversy is, is, is this interaction with scribes from Jerusalem that interrupts and sits between the two cookies, the two pieces of bread as it were, which is a conflict that Jesus has with his own family. And Mark does this on purpose. There's a point that he's making in this. So the first cookie, as it were, the first end of the sandwich is verses 1 and 2. Look, look down at verses, or verses 20 and 21. Jesus, he's at home. And the crowd that's been following him since his ministry began continues to press him. And they press him so hard that he doesn't even have time with his disciples to eat. They will not leave him alone. And his family, and over in verse 31, Mark identifies his family here as Mary and Jesus' brothers. They hear of this crowd that's following Jesus. They, they hear what Jesus is doing and they head out to rescue him from the crowd. Why? Not, not because he hasn't had time to eat, but because they've concluded that he's out of his mind. More than likely, they, they have heard that what Jesus is doing has upset the religious establishment in Israel. And yet he, he insists on continuing to do what he's doing and continue to upset that religious establishment so his family goes Jesus what are you doing what what are you doing they 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 conclude that he's out of his mind how could somebody continue to do what he's doing when every religious authority in the land is condemning him for what he's doing Jesus, you must be out of your mind. Get out of there. And this family, think of, think of the society in which they, they existed. A family with a son who's causing that much trouble. It's a family that has shame heaped on it. There's self-preservation going on with Jesus' family right here. They don't want the attention they're getting from this. This is bad press. This is, this is bad attention. So they go out to him. But then Mark interrupts. The cream filling slips in in verse 22. And despite the accusation of craziness from his family, some scribes from Jerusalem who were probably, who were probably delegates sent from the, the high priests to sort of figure out what in the world this Jesus from Nazareth is doing. They come from Jerusalem and they, they levy a charge far more severe than what Jesus' family had given to him. They hear the same thing about Jesus that his family had heard and their conclusion, look at verse 22. He's possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul, roughly translated, means prince of heaven. The ruler of this world. It's another word for Satan. He is possessed by Satan, is their conclusion. They said, we conclude that Jesus definitely has power. There's no denying that. He's doing things that no mere 
human could do. But it's not the power of God's Spirit. It's by the power of Satan himself that Jesus casts out demons. Now, both Jesus' family and the scribes from Jerusalem received Jesus incorrectly. That's what Mark is telling us by sandwiching these two stories together. However, the the scribes' wrong reception of Jesus was far more severe, and the force of Jesus' rebuke matches the intensity of their accusation. Now, bear in mind that Jesus had publicly, he had publicly driven demons out of people. He had publicly opposed the work of Satan. That was the kind of power that the scribes had observed, that they concluded must be coming from somewhere else. So Jesus has been publicly, powerfully fighting against the very one that they claim he gets his power from. And Jesus calls him out on this. Through several parables, he shows how stupid, how stupid the suggestion of a civil war within Satan himself is. Look at verses 24 through 27. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Come on, you guys. If, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is in fact coming to an end. Historians have studied the fall of Rome for centuries. Tens of thousands of historians fascinated by the fall of the world's greatest empire in a few short years. And most agree that the primary cause of its fall was the instability of its emperor. Did you know that in a span of 75 years, more than 20 men sat on the throne? One historian said that to take the throne of Rome in that period was pretty much a death sentence. You were bound to be murdered by another wanting the throne for himself. The legendary fall of Rome happened because its leaders fought amongst themselves. And the underlying principle in Jesus' parables here is that power and survival depend on unity. If Satan has risen up against Satan, his reign is at an end anyway. So he's saying, if you guys are right, you should be celebrating. This is good news for you. But Jesus knows, and they know, that Satan would not willingly self-destruct. He can only be destroyed by a greater power. And that's the point that Jesus makes in verse 27 with his final parable. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Listen, the strong man is Satan. The house is his power over people he controls through demonic influence. And and the strong man's possessions are precious people who are created in God's image, who are being influenced by this satanic power. 
Jesus' point, listen, catch this, is that the strong man's possessions can only be taken from him by one who opposes him and is more powerful than him. He's saying, guys, your argument does not stand up. I have come to defeat the power of Satan. I've come to bind the strong man. And here's the comfort. Jesus came to bind the strong man. It's what He came to do. And in His cross, through which He defeated sin and death and Satan, He did so in one wonderful, terrible blow. Twelve chapters later, He would do that. He would accomplish what he had come to do. And, and listen, listen, listen. H- how you receive Jesus determines what you get from Jesus. Here's the scary thing. If you deny that Jesus' power is from God, then if, 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 you, if you reject Jesus, if you deny Jesus, then you deny his power to defeat Satan in your own life. And Satan still maintains his grip. Whatever grip that is. Influencing your thoughts, your decisions, tempting you, discouraging you, leading you away from God. That is the undeniably scary thing here. But if you receive Jesus for who He is, if you receive him as God's own son sent by God to destroy the works of the devil, then as commentator Eckhart Schnabel says, it is most important, especially in a world where he seems so powerful, that we realize that the enemy has already been defeated. He's already been defeated. To realize that Jesus came to bind the strong man. And that through the events at the end of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus accomplished what he came to do for you. Oh, that's the first significant comfort from receiving Jesus correctly. Satan is very powerful, he is not to be trifled with. There's a reason why the Jews' nickname for him is the Prince of Demons. Why Paul called him the false god of this world. But in Christ, Satan's power has been defeated for the disciples of Christ. Listen, who who knows what trials and challenges are on the horizon in 2023? I don't think any of us should should be disillusioned to think that it's all going to be just sunshine and rainbows for the rest of this year. No doubt. There will be some things about this year that will be unequivocally wonderful, some things are going to be really hard. But if you've received Jesus correctly, you can know for certain that Satan has neither caused them, nor does he have any power to work any of those things for your ultimate harm. This is good news as we head into the unknown of a new year, with not just mere optimism, not just sentimental hope that maybe things will turn out right. Listen, Jesus has defeated Satan for you, and Jesus now reigns in goodness and grace over the trials 
on your horizon. Oh, this is comforting news. Jesus has defeated Satan for you if you receive him correctly. The second comfort, oh, and here's, here's the big one. Here's the one that answers the, the, the big question of this text. The second big comfort is forgiveness remains for you. Forgiveness remains for you. This is verse, verses 28 and 29. And we'll read them again because they're, <laughs> they're worth reading and understanding well. He says, Jesus says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. We're treating these short verses separately on purpose. They're still part of the the Oreo cream. And you know why we're, we're paying special attention to them, don't you? Scholar D.A. Carson says of these verses, in real life there are few more distressing conditions calling for treatment by physicians of the soul than that of people who believe they have committed this sin. There are few more distressing conditions calling for treatment by physicians of the soul than that of people who believe they've committed this sin. Have I committed this sin? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? What a way to start off this new year, right? (laughs) We're just jumping right into it. With unforgivable sin, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, if not the scariest verse in the Bible. So let's find out what Jesus is actually saying here. What is the unforgivable sin? In the context of this passage, it is the sin is a claim that Jesus has an impure spirit. It's a claim that Jesus is doing his works by the power of Satan, which is a refusal to acknowledge that Jesus is empowered by God's spirit. So most scholars agree that the sin against the Holy Spirit, the, the unforgivable sin, involves purposely shutting your eyes to the light of Jesus and as a result calling his goodness evil. In short, it's willfully denying Jesus. It's willfully denying Jesus. Why is it unforgivable? Here's why. It's actually quite simple. Because repentance is necessary forgiveness. Again, D.A. Carson says, the answer seems to be that the nature of this sin is such that one does not repent of it. Because those who commit it and persist in it do not know that they are sinning. The the failure to see it as a sin prevents a sense of need for repentance, and where repentance is absent, forgiveness is impossible. Another scholar by the name of Jeff Schleter, uh, my co-pastor down in Santa Ana who's preaching right now, he actually said it really well. He said, it's the sin that's not forgiven because it's never asked to be. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's the sin that's not forgiven because it's never asked to be forgiven. 
Because my rejection of Jesus, I don't think is wrong because I believe it. I, I believe that, that he's not really the, the son of God. I believe he's not really the savior. And I'm not, I'm not asking for forgiveness for it. I'm not repenting of that because I believe it. And I'm set in it. And that's not a sin I need to ask for forgiveness for. That's why it's unforgivable. So if you deny Jesus, you will stand before God's judgment and, and you will not find forgiveness. That's the heavy, scary thing here. Jesus is black and white here. There is no gray area. The terrifying irony is that if you deny Jesus and you're not scared by his words, that person has the most to fear of all. On the other hand, on the other hand, are you worried or have you ever been worried that you have committed this sin? Take comfort. If that's you, then forgiveness remains for you. Eckhart Schnabel says, if we still feel that we might be guilty, it is a clear sign that we have not committed this ultimate sin and are in no danger of committing it. Indeed, as has often been said, the real emphasis is on the other side. The, the wonderful truth is that all other sins can be forgiven. Look at verse 28. This is what is so often missed with this, with this passage. Jesus' real emphasis is on verse 28. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, all of them, Provided there's repentance. Provided there's re repentance. L listen to Jesus. Friend, all of your sins can be forgiven. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person in this world who, if they repented from their sins, would not be forgiven of their sins. Because in repenting, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Re forgiveness remains for you. Whatever you did in 2022, whatever you did before 2022, if you doubt that God would look upon you with grace and love and kindness, oh, look to Jesus, receive him, and know that forgiveness remains for you. Listen to Jesus. All your sins can be forgiven. And if your sins are forgiven, there's an invitation for you into God's family. And that, that's the third comfort from this passage. The third comfort from receiving Jesus correctly. That there's a wonderful family for you. There's a wonderful, not just, not just forgiveness of sins, not just a neutral standing, but an invitation to come into God's family. This is verses 30 through 35. This is the end of the sandwich. We're here at the, the, the second cookie here. We've, we've gotten beyond the Oreo cream. This is now the resolution of that first section of this passage. This is the culmination. This is where actually both of them culminate. The point of both of these, these controversies really finds resolution in this passage, these six Verses. So, Jesus' family, they, they arrive 
outside the house that he's teaching within. And, and Mark is painting a visual picture here. They're not inside the house. They're outside. He's making a statement. And they, they call in to Jesus. They send somebody in to go and talk to Jesus and to bring him out. And those people go to Jesus and they say, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, who would have guessed what Jesus was about to say? Nobody saw this coming. Everybody thought he would say, all right, all right, can I just have a second? I need to go talk to, to my mom and my brothers. No, he stands his ground. And you can just imagine him throwing his arms wide and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? <laughs> and he says, not them. Not them. Because entrance into my family isn't based on bloodline. It's not based on titles. It's not based on religious affiliation. It's not based on f- familial, familial cultural interwovenness based on something else. He says, here, motioning to the people who are sitting listening to him, here are my mother and my brothers. What's his point here? Here's his point. Listen up. This is what it's all been leading to. Being on the inside of God's kingdom and family has nothing to do <laughs> with your own personal goodness, with, with family ties, with, with religious standing with, with, with national origin, none of this has nothing to do with even blood relation to Jesus. How then do you get inside? Look at verse 35. This is, this is the, 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 crux, the crux. This is the pinnacle. This is where everything is leading to. It says, for, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God is part of God's family. Whoever does the will of God, to go back to a previous verse in this passage, will be forgiven of their sins. Whoever does the will of God is part of God's family. He's a part of the kingdom Jesus came to usher in. Is, is, is an insider and no longer on the outside. Now, gosh, oh, there, there's such good news in this. Because though at first blush, it might seem like Jesus is saying, whoever keeps the law best is my family. That's what it looks like he might be saying, right? And that doesn't seem like such good news because none of us keep it all that well. But that's not what he's saying. And this is intentional by Mark because up until now, Jesus has only given one broad, general command. One. One example of what it means to do the will of God. And it's back in chapter 1, verse 15. And you know, it's worth flipping back there. It's one page back in your Bible, probably. Chapter 1, verse 15 Jesus comes into Galilee at the beginning of his ministry and he says, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. 
That's his one command he's given so far. Repent and believe the gospel. Thus far in the book of Mark, Jesus has given one indication of what it means to do the will of God. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sin. Remember, the unforgivable sin is only unforgivable because it doesn't repent. It doesn't seek forgiveness. So repent! And believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news that Jesus is God's Son sent by God the Father to save us from our sin by dying on a cross in our place, taking our sin upon Himself, giving to us His righteousness, and reigning as King over our lives. Believe that message. Friends, doing God's will is receiving Jesus by faith. Doing God's will is receiving Jesus by faith. And you might say, oh, that's too simple. There's got to be more than that. There's got to be more qualification to be included into God's family to receive forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says, no. Inclusion in God's family is receiving Jesus by faith. And if you do God's will in the first fundamental regard, you are ushered inside and you get everything that comes with knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Receiving Jesus by faith is how you have confidence in victory over Satan. It's how you know you have forgiveness over any sin. It's how you find inclusion in God's family. Friends, take, take great comfort as we transition from one year to another. Take, take great comfort. In Jesus' word in verse 35, you belong to a family. If you've received Jesus by faith, you belong to a family. You are inside that family if you have received him by faith. If you've been rejected by your father or your mother, if you've suffered the pain and the ignominy of divorce, if you have kids that have, have strayed off onto a road that you hoped they would never stray onto, if you were abused or neglected by those who were charged with caring for you even earlier in your life, if you stand at the end of 2022 and look back into your past and what you see is a broken family, broken relationships, and you look forward into 2023 and beyond wondering if you could ever have something better than that, Here's the comfort. Here's, here's the comfort. If you receive Jesus with the arms of faith, you can turn to look into your future and know that you are welcomed into the family of Christ. A family characterized by healing and restoration. A family characterized by love and grace and unity. Perfect unity. If you are a Christian, when was the last time that you sat and thought about the wonder of being a member of God's family? There is such blessing and comfort and peace in knowing that you belong to a family that will never break apart and that you'll be a part of 
for the rest of forever. Maybe start your year off by just sitting and thanking God for that. What comfort we have in Christ. Now, as we close, let me, let me ask you one, one question, one simple question. How have you been listening to this sermon? Maybe at the beginning of this message, you, you weren't sure how you should listen to it. What would the comforts or the scary words of Jesus be more fitting for you? Now you know. Now you know because how you receive Jesus answers that question. And if you find that you are where you entered this morning, having received him by rejecting him, by disbelieving in him, by mocking or scorning who he is, or just remaining ambivalent to him, having no care in him, this isn't bad news saying, well, sorry. No, no, no. The message to you is repent. Repent and believe in the gospel and all of these comforts are yours. And best of all, you get Jesus himself, the giver of the gifts. What a triumphant and hopeful way to enter into 2023. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who, who came not, not to give us a roadmap, not to give us a bunch of gifts, not to give us a good book or a bunch of sayings, not even to give us ultimately but to give us himself. And we thank you that in him, Lord, we, we have everything we could ever hope for. Father, we've only scratched the surface this morning of what comfort exists in knowing Jesus. I pray that this next year would be a year of, of, of knowing those comforts to the full. Of knowing the Jesus who has defeated the power of Satan. Of knowing that, that whatever might come this year comes with Jesus reigning in goodness and grace over it. Knowing that whatever comes this year, we belong to a family. Knowing that whatever whatever temptations we fall into, however far we stray from you, forgiveness remains in Christ. Lord, would you reorient our hearts and our minds toward him by faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen.